From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, September 25th, the one day after the 11 year anniversary of this radio show, podcast, whatever the heck this is. Um, and to do that, we welcome in our friend and guy who runs the Golf News Net, Mr. Ryan Ballinger. Hello. Hey, Jeremy. How are you? Thank you for helping celebrating my anniversary week with me. Well, happy anniversary. <laughs> 11 years of this damn thing. Um, so Tiger wins. And you and I uh, had a podcast that I did down the hall from here. Uh, last December where you and I were nervous. We were skittish. We didn't want Tiger to play the hero. We were scared. And lo and behold, the dude plays great there and builds and has problems and builds and parts of his game don't quite click and you know, it makes one driver shaft and loft change and voila, hits more fairways, hits more greens. The putts go in with the old Scotty and he's a PGA Tour winner. Pretty amazing. Um, like you mentioned, I mean, he went to a, a new shaft, well, a new old shaft, I guess, a new version of the old shaft. Yeah. Uh, it's been in his driver and, and fairway woods going back to 2013, 2014. That change was a good one. Uh, still in the Mitsubishi family, but he had tried the Tensai Pro Orange, and that didn't work for him as well as he had hoped, and kind of made some other tweaks and changes to try to get around it. And just kind of went to back to what worked with the driver and fairway woods well, well enough to win five times in a year. And did the same thing with his putter. Went back to the, the Scotty, the Newport 2, and it just kind of clicked. And he was great from tee to green. I mean, he, he's been all year. Uh, he's especially great from the fairway. When, uh, when it mattered most, which, I mean, he was good enough to hit the good shots. And uh, made enough putts. Kept it all together for the final five or six holes. And I'm pretty sure he probably realized, hey, I'm going to win. Uh, i got to hold this thing together. And did that. And it was the cool, probably the coolest scene I've, I've seen outside the Ryder Cup. Uh, at least in the last, let's say, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, we've never really had people rush the fairway like that. That was that that, that, that was kind of wild. Um, that doesn't happen a lot in golf. I mean, it, it just doesn't. <laughs> no. There aren't people typically in the fairway. I mean, they do it for some events, of course, but uh, certainly not at the Tour Championship when you have 30 people, usually a football weekend, they did. It, they allowed it probably last year, and no one took notice because it was Xander Shoffley and Justin Thomas winning. No offense to those guys, but they're not Tiger Woods. And all of a sudden, they were doing the same thing they they've been doing, and they had five thousand people in the middle of a fairway. It, it was like a a national champ, championship celebration. Yeah, a collegiate program it was great. Just imagine if that had, if, if 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 Tiger messed up and it ends up in a tie, and now it's a playoff, and we had people making snow angels in, in bunkers, and we got to clear all those fans out of the way. <laughs> that would have been interesting. If Tiger messes up, we have a playoff. We have literally a commotion problem on our hands. That would uh, wow. Yeah, that would have been done. Yes, it, uh, for some who have not <laughs> seen... He got it into the bunker, he was good from there, needing, yeah. what, four uh, to yeah. win. They figured probably that was going to be good enough. But imagine if he had left it in the bunker and then somehow went from there. That would have been pretty pretty brutal. His concern was, was sculling over the... His, his concern was sculling it over the green, which, like... 
I know he said it half kiddingly, but like, um, you know, here's somebody, right, who, who ends up in this cauldron, doesn't even know that, that the cauldron's going to happen, has to be surrounded by three sheriffs, led through the crowd. You've got the steady cam operator who somehow kept that steady cam steady the whole time. You've got the poor standard bearer stuck in there. You've got Maltby stuck in there. You've got just a mess on your hands. Yeah. And Tiger's yeah. near tears, and he gets up to the bunker, and he goes, I can't blade this out of bounds over the green. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, and he at least admitted as much. I mean, when he yeah. realized he got up to the putting surface and was in the bunker, you gather yourself. You still got to get out of this. You still got to get out of the bunker, and yeah. you still got to three-putt from there uh, to win this thing. And you know, it'd be good for him to kind of gather himself together, not to celebrate too early and uh, he fought it I mean he fought it in the, in the bunker he fought it on the first putt he fought it on the second putt uh, finally let it go a little bit but, yeah. uh, but he, he was in it till the end he wanted to make sure that last putt was in the ground before he he really celebrated. Well, you know, it, it's funny about two of those things. Number one, if if you remember, he said he chunked and runned it on purpose out of the bunker. <laughs> that he didn't play the shot that he could have played, which which would have been the high spinner to take it over one of those ridges. He just said, I'm not doing anything here with high spinners. And, you know, for me, I think that first putt was, I'm going to hit this at the slowest possible speed it can go in. If it goes in, great. If not, I have a one-inch tap in, and I don't have to worry about, you know, ramming it eight feet by or some stupid thing that now brings everybody, you know, you know, crazed and, and nervous. That was, those were as defensive a series of two shots you will ever see Tiger Woods play, basically, right there. And even still, he almost made the birdie. I mean, yeah, he wasn't just, really trying to make the putt, but... He almost did. Yeah, and, just uh, it just hooked left. Got there to twelve under. Yeah, and that, but that's the sign of someone who's been there a zillion times before. You don't have to make it look pretty. You no, won. Just no, just there. yeah. How many times do we think about you know you know did uh, you know did uh, Michael Kim at the John Deere you know you know, make bogey or par or birdie or eagle in the last hole? Nobody remembers these things. It's just the fact that Michael Kim won an event. Which a lot of people would have forgotten by now, probably. Um, you know what was interesting to me about this, Ryan, and 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 and, and you were there at the Quicken Loans. You saw it. He had had glimpses all year. It was just one piece. It was just one little thing here, little thing there. Did you leave uh, TPC Avenel Farm? Is that the official name or TPC Potomac? I I can never get the name right. Um, Potomac at Avenel Farm. Okay, there we go. Um, did you leave TPC Potomac at Avenel Farm thinking this is a guy who's going to win this year? I don't think that I did. I mean, it was 100 degrees that day, so I wasn't thinking a whole lot. But <laughs> just to get out of there. But um, I was really impressed by the way that he played, but it seemed like some things were just missing at the outset of the round. And then they kind of clicked into gear. And then he started to make a run on the back. You figure, okay, maybe if he birdies 10, this could be special. Not really at that point knowing what Molinari was going to do on the back nine, which would destroy everybody. Yes. And when he didn't birdie 10, I think he missed a four or five footer for birdie that really should have been easy. It should have been in a hole. 
but he missed it, and I, I figured, okay, that was it. That was that. Was that. But that if he ever put it together, he, could, he had the game to win. The, the, the talent is there. The capability is there. The execution is there. Just maybe not all together at once. And it's, as you kind of mentioned at the beginning, it's come together over time. And it started from, all right, just finish the tournament, 72 holes, to try to place, to try to get in the top 15, to try to win. And now he's kind of been trying to win for a while. Um, and the way that he finished the, the final two majors of the year, I mean, he had the solo lead alone for the better part of an hour at Carnoustie. He didn't have the lead ever at the PGA Championship, but he shot his lowest 54 and his lowest third final 36 uh, in the history of his major championship career, winning 14 of them, by the way. So I think he was heading in this direction, but in July, I didn't think, you know, just a few weeks before Carnoustie, I didn't think that that was going to be a possibility that he he would do all of the things that he's done, but that he could win again. Yeah, I thought that was probably possible. Talking to Ryan Boundy here on Teeing It Up. So, so here's the theory that I have, and and you can tell me if 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 this makes sense or not. My hypothesis about Tiger is that he won the PGA Championship. There were two winners that day. One of which was was um, obviously Brooks Kepka, who got a nice trophy. The other was Tiger. And that fist pump on 18 was the I won fist pump. It was the I did it. I knew I could do it. I finished strong. I made up for the mistakes that I made in the back nine. I got up and down on, uh, um, on, on 17 or whatever that was. You know, uh, buried 15 after the problems earlier on the back nine, blah, blah, blah. And then he steps up there and birdies 18, shoots 64, leaves on a happy note. Huge fist pump and celebration. I thought that that was a victory moment, that that was him getting number 80, and that when it finally came time for him to be in position to actually win number 80, it was, oh, I've done this before. I, I just did this last August. Am I on to something? I think that was a pretty important moment. I don't know that maybe he felt like he won, but maybe he finally felt like he finished something off. Um he didn't finish it off at Carnoustie. No, he did not. And he probably knew in the back of his mind he had to be gifted three strokes, basically, at the outset of the final round from the three leaders behind him to get there. And he would just happen to be the right guy at the right time who was playing pretty well at that moment. But he couldn't finish it off. He didn't finish it off. This was the opposite. Never really had a chance as good as Kepka was playing to be a threat to win, but he never went away. Even, like you mentioned, when he had those bad drives, when he had those instances uh, where it just looked like a par was going to be difficult. And by and large, I mean, he didn't do it universally, but by and large, he saved it. Uh, The the front nine was horrible on that Sunday at Bell Reef, but somehow he was three under par. He wasn't great on the back nine driving the golf ball, and he still managed to finish off the 64. He finished, finished it off, and he played his best golf. And I think that's what he was so happy about, that it was possible in a, in a major championship scenario for him to get darn close to tracking down the guy that was the best player on the planet at that moment, and maybe he still is, but the best player that week, and that he could do it. And that maybe he didn't do it on this occasion, but he could do it in majors to come, provided his health stays the same. I think that buoyed him a long way going into the playoffs, that if he could just figure out the driver and the putter, then he can he can take care of the rest in between. 
And I think he's gotten there with these changes. He feels comfortable with both the Scotty again. He's got a driver shaft he feels good with. He was hitting a really nice buzzsaw cut at East Lake that looked absolutely gorgeous off the team. He really did. And it looked like old time. I mean, it looked like a guy who was just in complete control. And that's the guy that can win major championships. That's the guy that won 14 of them. Yeah. And if that guy's around next year, why can't he win the Masters? Why couldn't he win at Pebble again? Why couldn't he go to Best Page in May and, and do it? What, what's to stop him? And it's not, he's proven at this point it's not the competition that's stopping him. No, and and to further that point, he's going to be stronger next year. He's he's on he's on essentially fitness fumes right now. You know, he 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 basically said a couple weeks ago. I'm doing rest, recovery, maintenance right now. I'm not getting stronger. I'm basically keeping my body together, which is also why I think that that shaft and loft change was so helpful because you didn't have to swing as hard. Just nice and smooth, get it out there in the fairway, lose 20 yards, who cares, best iron player in the game. Imagine next year when he gets a full offseason to actually train instead of rehab and actually go through a normal process. Then he can take advantage of some of this technology while also... You know, still keeping it in the fairway. That's where I think he's going to be really lethal next year when he's strong again. Um, did you see Sean Martin's tweet about um, uh, Tiger Strokes' game approach to the green? I, I thought that was fascinating for Sean to point that out there. I mean, obviously, Wood hasn't qualified a lot in recent years because of a lack of yeah. like 50 rounds. But, but the way that he's been able to be the best iron player, basically in golf, for 12 years, and, and honestly, he's been the best iron player in golf for 22 years. But that that is still the formula is still the same. It, he's not playing different golf than when he was successful in 2013 or before that. He's playing the same brand. It's just in you know, a little bit older body, maybe a little bit wiser. It's slightly shorter at times, but not that much. He's still playing the same brand, and I, I think that's got to be. If he, if he cares about the numbers, that's kind of got to be appealing to, to Tiger, that I can still play golf my way at 42, cut open a bunch of times on my back, and succeed. And if he can continue, like you said, in the offseason, we're not going to see him much between now and, and the hero. Uh, when we do, he will be a little bit stronger. He'll be maybe a little bit more confident, uh, certainly a little bit more energetic, and he can get back on a pace that he feels comfortable doing. And for those who don't know, by the way, what, what we're talking about, Sean Martin um, from the PGA Tour tweeted out uh, Tiger Strokes gained approach to the green going back to 04, I believe it is. Um, yeah. Even though the Strokes gain stats are new because of shot length, they can retroactively run them back to 2004. And Tiger, for all the years that he has had enough qualifying rounds, has been number one in strokes gain approach to the green. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, sorry. This is since 06. It takes 50 rounds to be uh, uh, to qualify, and he's been first every single year that he's had enough qualifying uh, rounds for it. It, it, it is insane in, uh, to to see how strong his iron play was, and and, and that was Joe Lacava's point. Um, at a charity event a couple weeks ago when he said that he was so happy to see Tiger make that driver change and to see it work because he was the best iron player in the world and he knew as soon as he could hit it in the fairway, he'd be fine. Um, 
One of the broadcasting myths, people that you and I hear every week, is Tiger made every clutch putt in his prime. That is not true. Um, go back and look at the video, folks. He did not make every clutch putt in his prime. What he did do in his prime, however, and why he's won 80 events and why he's now 43-2 and two when having a solo lead in 54-4 and four, or 55-4, whatever it is, when he shares her co-leads and is 24-0 and 0 now when he leads by three or more strokes, is his Saturday rounds. He got the lead on Saturday. He pushed it. If he got it on Friday, he pushed it further on Saturday. Those Saturday rounds have been so crucial and so vital in these 80 wins. And and uh, Ryan, here he is. He finally had a Saturday round where he pushed forward, came out in 30, and, and, and basically won the tournament right there. Yeah. I mean, he's the best closer golf's ever seen for a reason. Um, he, the, the, unlike the long-held myth that he made every putt, the David tells you when he gets the lead after 54 holes, it's pretty much over. Uh, he finishes it off. Yeah. For whatever reason, he is more comfortable with the lead after 54 than any player that's probably ever lived. And that was key for him, I think, a key moment for him to know that he could walk into Sunday, even if he hadn't done it in five years, doing, knowing that in the, in the past, and playing basically the same brand of golf, he finished it off. And the, it did not hurt him that everyone he had played with this week basically wilted in front of him. Yes, I mean, which was hilarious. Was great, I mean, Fleetwood wasn't great on Thursday. Ricky. Oh, was horrible on Friday. Yeah. Rose was good, but not good enough on Saturday. And McElroy, for as much as I love to watch him play, is really not that mentally tough. No. And he will pretty easily. Twice this year in big spots. And he was out of it five holes in. He was out of the Masters two holes in. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so he was a non-factor. So Tiger was just playing by himself, competitively speaking. And the only person he had to hold down was Billy Horschel. No offense to Billy Horschel, but he's Billy Horschel. Yeah. He's not someone else. And so I think that made it a little bit easier for Tiger, knowing he wasn't going to face Rory, that Justin Rose was probably going to play just to win the FedEx Cup, not win the tournament. And there was no other reasonable challenger in terms of both skill and strokes. So I think that made it a little bit easier for him. But I I do think that it probably didn't hurt him that he, he kind of saw what used to happen, that the guys who played with him just stunk up the room, and he could dominate Phillips. And I, I think you have to give credit to the uh, crowds there. Those 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 crowds down there um, in Atlanta were just insane, and it's tough to play in that atmosphere. Rory said it earlier this year. Although some, so was it you that uh, tweeted out the quote from uh, Los Angeles? And and yeah. yeah, there was some debate over the context, but but that 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 there is no disagreement that. Playing with Tiger is tough, and obviously that's something that Rory's now faced twice this year. Um, I want to get to the new FedEx Cup Tour Championship thing, but that's going to be for a separate podcast because that could be 25 minutes in itself. Uh, Getting to the Ryder Cup, from everything I've seen this week, there's a whole lot of water, and the rough is really, 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 really thick. Um, What have you gleaned so far from the Golf Nationale as we get ready for the Ryder Cup on Friday morning? 
kind of like the traditional writer stuff shit. I mean, if you've been watching uh, Golf Channel previewing this writer stuff, that you're an old writer stuff, you can watch the setups in the mid 90s, or frankly, throughout the 90s on the European side. And they're almost always penal. If you get in the rough, you're going to have a hard time getting into the green. And you can even see that as a setup in 2002, 2006. Uh, not really in 10, a little bit in 14. This is how the Europeans set up the Ryder Cup. You miss the fairway, you're just taking gamble to get to the green. And at Le Golf National, with so much water in play, feels like on every hole, I know it's not, but it feels like every hole is water in play. If you miss on the side without water, and you're in the rough, you've got to consider that you could hit a shot so poorly you wind up in the water. And I'm wondering if that will lead to the U.S. trying to play a little bit more conservatively, particularly in the, in the foursomes, because you don't want to put your partner in an inescapable position off the team or in a spot where they're, they're potentially going to take a penalty stroke. But for the four ball, I think the fairways are still wide enough, you know, 35 yards to the widest, that guys on both sides will kind of this guy by driving the ball, Rory and John Rahm on the European side, Pretty much every American website and Patrick Reed on our, on our side. Uh, I think they'll feel comfortable with two risks at it to hit driver and try to take over the golf course that way. But I, I have a feeling the setup is designed to make it a little bit easier for the Europeans to win points in the force of format. We are, um, excuse me, this is uh, talking here. And uh, as we look at Excuse me. As we look at the uh, Ryder Cup, which starts Friday at 2 a.m. Eastern Time, will you be up, uh, 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 sorry, Ryan, at 2 a.m. Eastern Time? I'll try my best. <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee anything. Uh, I'm going to try to do it. You've got two young kids. It's, it, it's, it's tough. I understand. <laughs> I think it's going to be special. So I, I do want to watch it on Friday. At least the job. If I don't need to do the full session. And I want to see the first tee shot from that awesome grandstand setting and see how it goes. And then maybe watch it go and then maybe plunk down a nap, see where we are in a couple hours and go from there. But it, that's kind of the tough part of these away game Ryder Cups is it's always forward. It's, you know, for the Europeans, oh, well, they're starting at 10 a.m. U.S. time. It's, you know, 3 p.m. our time. It's afternoon golf. Uh, we're kind of jealous of the Europeans in that context, but... You know, getting up at 2 a.m. Eastern, uh, I'll, I'll probably have had four or five hours of sleep by the time I get to 2 a.m. So I think it'll work out okay. You will see me watching that on that wonderful thing called the DVR. <laughs> I will not be up at 2 a.m. Um, you know, something that, that, that I asked uh, Sean Davison, who, who was on my show yesterday, uh, which we'll get to in a second, is... Who are you most concerned about from each side? So I will ask you that now so that you can keep that in mind as we go forward with this question. Um, there were some weird groups uh, uh, today for the practice round. Reed and Spieth were broken up. Brooks and Dustin were broken up. Um, and Tiger and Phil were playing in the same group together. And um, apparently Jim Furyk said that he wanted people who had seen the golf course to play with those who hadn't. Do you buy in any of that, or do you think that we could see the Reed Spieth, you know, epic pairing of of the century broken up this week? 
I mean, the breakup is possible, I suppose. Um, Reed has played like garbage since June, and so he's more of a liability than an asset in terms of current form. He's going to make the championship, so he's not playing that great. So you, if you keep them together, you have to make the assumption that it's just poop magic, and all of a sudden, Reed just becomes Captain America and he's uh, find some of the facts of the team that have been missing from the office team that's been putting. It's interesting um, in, 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 in that context. Um, it's also interesting in the context of there's a lot of people who don't who think Tiger's only going to play three matches, only going to play once a day. Um, he's hinted that, that, that he could do more. Um, but what that does is if, if he and Bryson are tied at the hip, which it appears that they might be, You've got to start calculating in your head, and obviously the U.S. team has already done this. If if Tiger can only play X and if Phil can only play X, how does that translate down the line? So it's going to be very interesting. I also think Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler together, because of how close they are, both uh, geographically with their houses and just as friends, is a really good pairing too. So that's um, my thoughts there um, when it comes to pairings. 
Um, when, when, when it comes to emotions, we, we talk every Ryder Cup about first tee jitters, containing your emotions, how important the locker room is, how important the captain is or not is, or whatever the case may be. Do you think the fact that this is Rose and Stenson and maybe Sergio's last go-around uh, and maybe Paul Casey has any bearing here. I think Tiger has more in him. This is probably Phil's last, but he's going to be around this thing forever. Um, this is a weird feel on the European side. You know, they they had all these captains' picks as as vets because of how many rookies they have. But at the same time, these vets are not playing all that well. Stenson's had had the elbow. T- uh, uh, Sergio just you know basically didn't want to play golf this year. It felt like at times. It's a weird feel, and you got to wonder if some of the emotion of the Ryder Cup galvanizes these guys. I think it probably does to some extent. I don't, I don't know that for Stenson or maybe, maybe Garcia just goes into the tank, but I don't think for any of the veterans, maybe other than Paul Keith, he's been up there at this point. Uh, a little bit more than that, we'll that's their last ride. I mean, I think Justin Rose figures 38 now, number one in the world. He's probably got three more in them. Depending on injury, maybe two. Garcia, depending on will, I guess, maybe two or three um, before they throw things up to But I think they probably get the sense that this from the individual side of that the Americans are more dominant now in terms of individual play than a handful of years ago. There's more of a complete lineup to it. So for them, maybe they perceive this as the potential end of the era where they club the Americans on a routine basis and maybe it starts to kind of turn the other way. So I, I think there is a sense of urgency involved in this. But also that these guys have, and Europe in general have the beginning of continental Europe being a part of this, tried their hardest to make a path of succession for not only the guys that are going to be in charge of the team, vice captain, the captain, but also put the younger guys in a position to feel engaged. So that's part of their job this week, I think, is not only to win their points, Stenson Rose has to work, Garcia, Blah, maybe has to work, uh, but to put guys like Tommy Fleetwood and Torbjorn Olsen in a position to feel like they can do this with or without the greatest European Ryder Cup teams of all time, or players of all time, and then they can move forward and be successful too. So there's kind of a dual purpose to this, but obviously when it comes first, and I think those guys will be driven to ever do that. I'm worried about the the uh, the uh, rookies. You know, my 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 the two Europeans who I'm most worried about are Stenson and Garcia because of of how uncertain they've been and and, and uh, recently and especially in Garcia's case, how poor the, most of his 2018 has been. But those rookies, especially Norrin and Olison and and less so Tommy Fleetwood, but. Those guys have not been on a big stage like this, Terrell Hatton, and it's going to be an interesting um, uh, uh, time for them on the first tee to see how they handle them. Are they paired with a veteran? Does the veteran tee off on one the first time so that they can get through that that first round? Um, how they handle these rookies is going to be very fascinating, Ryan. It is, and I, I think of all the rookies, the one I'm most concerned about is Terrell Hatton. I think Olsen, he kind of can get his arm 
put around him by any variety of veterans. He's stalwart. Uh, he plays the, the tour a lot. He has a lot of friends. Obviously, captain of the country uh, in Thompson North. So there's, there's something there to that. I think he's going to keep straight from that. But Hatton is an incredibly emotional player. Written on his sleeve, his forehead, anywhere you can find his nail, his expression. Um, if he starts to go sideways, I think he can only really bring down his partner. He can't really lift him up that much, I don't think. But the opposite could happen. If they're rolling, if they're playing well, they could really roll. Um, so he's kind of, I think, the wild card of most of them. I mean, Alex Noren has won on this golf course before, so he's got to feel pretty confident. Uh, he doesn't seem to get bothered by a whole lot, good or bad, so I think he can kind of handle the situation well. Rob is going to be an emotional player, but uh, he's playing well of late, so I'm not necessarily worried about unless it all goes screwballs with him, his emotions kind of just affect him. So you do have to manage the rookies pretty well. You kind of have to figure out when you're going to play up, but I think if you're Thomas Norton, you have to look at what Darren Clark did in 2016 and do not the exact opposite, but darn close because Chad, Fitzpatrick, Chris Wood, Danny Willis, basically left Thomas Peters out there but you left three rookies sitting around wilting to die on Sunday. That's pretty much what they did. So you kind of have to put them in just one match and hope on Sunday they're ready to go. you got to show some confidence in them by place of flight and then try to roll with it. It's a hard balance to find. On the American side, I'm almost worried about uh, Spieth. He's been off this year. He had that week off in Dallas to kind of regroup. I don't know what we're going to get from him. I know a lot of people are going to say Phil, because Phil you know, finished dead last, basically, last week, and now wants the stroke aside for the Thanksgiving match um, after seeing how Tiger played at Eastlake. But I'm, I'm, that's a big one. Spieth has to step up. That's, that's, that's the one that I'm eyeing. Yeah, I think he's kind of, well, I think it's dream too. Um, I think we have to either live up to being Captain America or he's got to at least be a contributor. I mean, he may not be able to put speed on his back uh, like he did in 2016 for a lot of those matches. But I feel like he can't be a liability because he's going to probably presumably pair with someone who is a liability because they're just going to assume Reed's going to show up and be the guy he's always been. So otherwise, you put them a couple points in the hole. Speed is the other guy. I think. You can kind of hide Webb or Bubba. Webb's not going to be the, the best player in, uh, in these two-man formats. Uh, he's not a good player out of the rough, so he's almost got a... Uh, it's almost, I've kind of read analysis that says he's better for foursomes because if you get someone to put the ball in the fairway a lot, he can be trying. But what if you don't? Then you can off the point. Uh, I think he's probably more valuable than the four ball. Uh, and the Bubba has been just such a myth after the third week of the season that kind of wonder what, what he's going to be able to do. But he'll, he'll be motivated by missing 2016, I think, being the seventh-ranked player in the world. So I think there are a lot of wild cards. There are a lot of question marks on both teams, to be honest. For as highly ranked as this group is, one to 44 in the world, basically, for 24 players, there are a lot of them where you're wondering how they're going to do. And then there's, yeah, and, and, and I mean, all top ten in the world are here, but you can even look at somebody like Tiger and go, does he have enough gas in the tank? It's not that his game's off. It's, you know, 
does he have enough after all the emotions of last week? So it, it really does go down the line. While you think up your pick, I'm going to remind those of you listening to this who are in the mountain and western time zones, uh, Pacific time zones, um, that on Saturday, the coverage begins at 2 a.m. for one hour on Golf Channel and then moves to NBC at 3 in the morning, Eastern and Central. If you're in the mountain or Pacific time zones, you may not see it on NBC. If you don't see it, flip back to Golf Channel. They will simulcast NBC from uh, what is midnight Pacific to 1.30 a.m. Pacific until late night programming has concluded and you can join the rest of the nation on NBC from 4.30 Eastern Time, 1.30 a.m. Pacific Time all the way through to 1 p.m. when Saturday's matches conclude. That's a very important PSA because uh, there are going to be some very confused West Coast fans Saturday morning when they go to watch their golf. Um, but has to happen because Seth Myers and Carson Daly have higher priorities sometimes. Um, what is your and, and and ironically, one of them, Carson Daly, is 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 totally uh, in love with this game of golf and won the AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am. What was it? Two years ago, I believe Carson Daly won it. Um, so. He loves him some golf. Anyway, I think the U.S. wins this thing, but it's way closer than the experts think to, to, uh, to um, quote Lee Corso. I, I think this is a two or three point victory. I think this comes down to the end of Sunday singles. You? I think it's closer than that if the Americans win. Um, it's been 25 years since the Americans have won on the road. That's for a reason. It's not because the Americans are doomed. It's because it's really hard to win foreign soil in this competition. I think the Europeans have a huge edge that we don't really talk about, that they have a, a yearly event at this golf course. Yes. They know it. They know how to play it, and they set it up because they know how they want to play it. Uh, the setup is going to favor their style, by and large, I think. And so the real question mark is, can the Americans just hang in there on Friday and Saturday? They'll probably be the better team on Sunday because they're the better player. But if they find the pairings that they've made are mistakes and they don't do well and they're down, you know, two to three points going into Sunday, I don't think that they can come back from it. So they've got to be within one, one and a half points going into Sunday to give themselves a chance to win. I think they can do it, but I don't think we're giving the Europeans enough credit for the talent they have. Will you be up at 6 a.m. Eastern to watch the uh, singles all the way through? Oh, yeah. Uh, I can do 6 a.m. Uh, 2 a.m. is a little rough, but 6 a.m., uh, my kids might be up by then anyway, so they can watch golf with me and we can kind of follow the fun together there uh there you go the uh u.s um i just got an email from uh uh, uh jimmy uh, jimmy shapiro who is a uh pr man out in um las vegas the from bovada the u.s is minus 140 favorites right now that's five to seven odds europe plus 152 to three and a tie is plus 1100 um, which yeah, is, I, I would, uh, Europe plus 150 is pretty solid. Um, if I were going to bet this, I would bet Europe to win. Yeah. So, we... Uh, I don't bet match play. <laughs> too, 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 too much can happen in match play to be a better on that one. 
Uh, Ryan, as always, thank you for joining us and teeing it up. And, and what I'm excited about is normally this time of year, we don't talk for a while. But, but now, this year, I get to talk to you Thanksgiving week. Yeah, with the Phil Tiger matchup, we've got some things to deal with. I'm, I'm, we're still short on a lot of details on that, by the way, two months out. Yes, we're and... We're really interested to find out a whole lot of things about this, which will probably happen the day after the Ryder Cup, but um, there's still a lot to learn about this. So hopefully I'll be out there covering it, but uh, I have no idea what they're going to be doing for it yet, so still lots to come on that front. Well, well, all right. So, so let's just you know talk about this for uh, two minutes, if you have two minutes. Um, yeah. Jim Miller reported the price would be twenty four ninety five, and Jeff Shackelford said that's basically on the right track. Twenty four ninety five is a hefty, hefty cost. I don't know what they're thinking. And every time we go, every, every time we have an announcement about this, it seems like it's more them filling their own buckets than trying to grow the game of golf. Going to pay per view is a horrible move if you want to, uh, to grow the game, in my opinion. And number two, making it twenty five dollars is a horrible move if you want to grow the game. The initial. Um, 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 I'm trying to think. Mission statement that was put out by both camps was basically this is going to be fun, grow the game, we'll have some fun, etc. I get that, that's great, but 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 your actions haven't followed that up. I get what Turner's doing and, and what AT and T is doing and trying to leverage every platform they acquired in that deal to be able to use Warner Media strengths in total. But twenty four ninety five is just a hefty number. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot for what will probably amount to be a two-and-a-half-hour golf match, but uh, you know, people pay $100 to watch a boxing match that could go literally 60 seconds. So <laughs> I guess maybe that's where they're getting the rationale from. I, I would think you would have tiered pricing. I would think with Bleacher Reports VR Live, if you do that for maybe 10 12 bucks and you do on TV for, for double the price or something like that, maybe that's something that people could get behind, but... Otherwise, I find it really difficult to believe that lots and lots and lots of people are going to pay $25 per TV to watch this this match, I just, especially the way Phil's playing. I just can't imagine that being worth it. On a college football Saturday. Yeah, on November 25th or 24th or 3rd or whatever, you know, on Thanksgiving weekend when you've got other stuff to do with your family. Yeah, so 24th is the Saturday. Kind of hard to, uh, kind of hard to imagine that being a big seller. You know, I first when I first heard pay per view, I, I thought it's because they want to be able to curse in their um, in their trash talk. And and look, the match has the potential. Look, Tiger's taking a long break after this, so who knows what shape his game will be in come November? Phil is so streaky that he could turn it on at any time. So I'm not worried about how well they're playing. Um, I'm working, and and the prop best sound fun, and all the side you know stuff that'll happen sounds fun. I just don't know if and and keep in mind Turner no longer produces any golf on their own, so they're going to have to get some kind of technical assistance from somebody, which yeah. would make you think that maybe some CBS staffers could be in charge of this, um, or, or 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 helping Turner out in in this regard, especially since Lance Barrow no longer. Uh, um, produces football for CBS. There's, you know, somebody who's free that weekend, hypothetically. Um, but if you're going to charge us twenty five dollars, we need every bell and whistle possible. We need 
you know, top tracer. We need slow motion cameras, fast cameras, you know, tower cameras, not just low angle cameras like PGA Tour Live. We need 10,000 announcers and we need, you know, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of cool gadgets and, and, and gizmos. And I feel like because they don't produce any golf on their own, what's the assurance that we're going to be able to be buying a product that's a high-quality watch? I, I don't think there is. <laughs> yeah? I, think, I mean, I, people probably don't think about that. Um, you know, we do, knowing the, the landscape a little bit, but it could be horrible. I yeah, mean, and... It could be horrible. Yeah, and that's like... From a production standpoint. And, and and go back to battle at, at uh, Bighorn, go back to battle of uh, the showdown at uh, Shearwood. At least ABC and ESPN put their resources into it. At, at least it looked like golf. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have no idea who they've got behind this, who's directing, who's producing. Who's the one. We don't know. We yeah. don't know yet. Yeah. Um, and, and, and is this even something where they can pull Ernie Johnson away from basketball for a week. Obviously, there's no basketball on Thanksgiving, so usually they have that week off. Does he want to work it? Is it going to be Brian Anderson? Is it going to be Finchie on this side of the pond for Thanksgiving when he's usually overseas? Um, you know, getting ready to call those those Australian events? Like, th- there's a lot of announcer-related questions here. There's there's a whole host of issues. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a lot to think about still. To learn about. Yes, as you said starting out, um, there's a lot to learn, and I don't even know if, I assume they'll open up credentials for the regular golf media, right? I mean, this is now being PGA Tour sanctioned because it had to go from no, 10 million to... No clue. Yeah. I've not heard a thing about it, and that's kind of the thing I'm waiting to find out is I, I would like to go watch this in person at Shadow Creek. I'd like to go cover it. Uh, I would like any excuse to go to Las Vegas. So, um, <laughs> I have, have not been given one yet because we don't know what's going to happen with it. So, and, and like, it's take a little while. Yeah, and like that's what I find fascinating is like this is PGA Tour sanctioned. It's why the purse went from ten million to nine million. I'm sure they've dragged Slugger or Mark Russell or Steve Rentoul or somebody out of that crew to be the official for this thing. Um, and does that mean that your regular PGA Tour credential will work, or will you need something else? There's so many questions with so little answers, but I do know I'll be talking to you Thanksgiving weekend. Ryan, get your sleep now. Enjoy the Ryder Cup later uh, as full as you can. And thanks, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. You got it, and thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.